You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Intercepted. I'm Justice Mosqueda. I usually have an enemy fan on leading up to the Packers week, but instead I brought in one of my guys, Sam Schwartzstein. Say what's up to people, Sam. Hey, what's up, everybody? So Sam worked with me uh, when I was doing XFL work. Um, You probably, if you guys listened to, I think, the Wednesday pod, I actually tapped uh, Sam on the shoulder and had to to have him answer a question about the uh, chip in the ball because people didn't understand why you couldn't just chip it. I guess it does make more sense, right, that, you know, it, it's not necessarily the ball placement, right? That's that's not the issue. It's when the player is down that really starts the problem with the ball chip. Yeah, and and the where you put the chip in the ball and how reliable that chip in the ball is, right? Um, we allow ourselves to have some uh, – okayness when refs don't perform to 100% because of, of humanness. Um, we are, have some understanding that the rule book is kind of a zombie or a Frank or more like a Frankenstein uh, rule book. You guys pro- you probably heard me say that a bunch of times at the XFL. Like it's just a bunch of people's ideas put parts together that evolved over years. Um, and we have an imperfect game. Um, and then the problem happens to be is like some of the plays are really big that we see where chains or plays the goal line take place um but they're they're few and far between compared to the other solvable things in the game that we could fix um and there's some archaic things that you can do to fix the the gameplay so um i don't know if you want to jump into that stuff right now or if you want to go into other stuff but i'm happy to jump into this is one of the hardest problems to solve for but also when not that big of a deal yeah we'll we'll preview uh the game in the second half of this pod but first i want people to kind of get to know you a little bit because yeah, I mean, you're an invaluable resource to me. <laughs> I talk to you all the time. Uh, we just like, you know, send DMs and stuff and answer each other's questions. But so let's get started. Uh, Sam Schwartzstein, who are you other than the number one rated center on uh, NCAA 13 or whatever? Well, OK, I was number one rated center. I was also number one rated offensive lineman altogether, um, which is even oh. a bigger deal because Barrett Jones won the Outland Trophy the year before. Um and he still wasn't as good as me. I don't know what Tiburon or the people who make the NCAA football game were thinking, but they are. They did come to Stanford a lot, so maybe that helped out. Maybe someone who coded the game liked my last name. That happens sometimes. It's not always a like situation, but uh, sometimes that helps out. Um, played football at Stanford from, from Texas. Um, played football at Stanford. Um, five years I was there. Captain of the Rose Bowl Championship team in 2013. Um, Pactual championship. I, I came in the same class as guys like Andrew Luck and David DeCastro, Michael Thomas. Um, I like to joke that they decided to go be millionaires. I decided to be a champion. Um, you know, we all make choices in life. 
After that, I played or I, I didn't get an opportunity I had, or I had a tryout with the Chargers. They said the NFL wasn't for me. So I stopped playing, got my master's, worked in tech for a little bit. And then where we got to know each other was at the XFL. Oliver Luck, Andrew's father, um, brought me on. He said, I want to Vince wants to change the rules, but wants to have more of a, a product approach to it. Right. So we built out a build, test, repeat, lean startup method um, to building out the rules of the XFL started out. You know, we, we, Vince gave us a bunch of times. We were there for, I think, 16 months before we ever played it down to football and really building out a process to create a scalable new rules games. Not every one of our rules was completely brand new, like having one foot inbound, but we had a reasoning, we had expertise and we had data to back up. And then we tested every single rule that we did. So we had rules testing. We did, we did um, with your call football, um, which you worked on. We did rules testing with them. We did rules testing with two Mississippi JUCOs. Um, we did two rules testing with the Spring League, both on a longitudinal uh, standpoint. So we did it. How did these rules get adapted over time? So we played about four games with them. And then we did some coach-to-player communication and more rules testing overall. Probably the hardest rule for us to get down was the punt rule. Um, we changed that one the most just because punt is such a funky thing i don't know how many of your listeners are cfl fans but they have the weirdest punt rules but they work for for the cfl right and so we tried to adapt them into different ways and it just didn't work so we ended up you know over time changing a lot of rules we created our own for coach to player communication system i have a patent on that um, with a few other guys from the xfl um so i i leaned on the technology side i worked a lot with espn and fox on the technology integration side and the rules Integration over there and worked with Dean Blandino writing the rule book. Um, we added, a, we had worked with PFF that we have about 87% of the same rule book. That was kind of the big deal um, as the NFL. And so that's where our variations were kickoff, special teams, mostly um, extra points. We had the two extra points. So different things to make the game more exciting, more fun. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, you guys really were trying to like rethink the game like completely structurally like I remember when I was at the showcase in Seattle doing player personnel stuff so I'm watching you know running backs run wheel routes and stuff like that you guys had your little equipment room that you guys were hanging out and drinking coffee and you guys had like 50 different versions of the XFL ball that you guys are just like playing around with and you guys are like no I don't, the, the feel of this one isn't good no Vince wants the X on the tip of it we need the X it, it was, yeah, I mean, you guys were really going through. I mean, this league was built by by people like you, you know? Yeah, so I was the first guy there, and I wanted to have a a product development process in everything we did, right, and and vet it out. We weren't going to be right on everything, um, but I wanted to make sure we had a process in place. And so Brian Kilmeade was one of the big guys who worked with me on a lot of things, the football Justin King, we worked a lot on this stuff. Eric, you know, Eric Galco is one of my closest friends in the football community. He worked a big time on this. And it was really focused on, like, how do we take uh, real-life context? How does the ball actually get made? So we went toward the factory. We actually know everything about it. We know what the way the ball spins is based on the ogive radius, which is a measurement for bullets. And that's kind of where the fatness of the football comes into play. We know that we had a brand – we got a patent on – the pebbling technology. So normally it's a, it's, it's cowhide that's kind of pebbled itself. Um, we wanted to make it that XFL logo. So we had to balance the creative vision of Vince who you can't deny the first XFL football was super cool looking the black with the red 
but um, they were sanding them in the shower the night before every game because the paint didn't work. Black footballs don't work. So to create that process, how do you make a black football? Well, you actually have to go white football or baseball leather and then go into it. So it's a huge process. So I have, you know, we had a team colors for the X logo on everyone, but the same football process for it because we need to keep that same cow, the red tanned rawhide leather that we used, right? So creating different processes to make sure the ball worked, but also fit Vince's vision of being cool, which I like cool shit too, or cool stuff. Um, and so that was important to me, but we had to make sure we had a process in place. So we tested probably four or five variables of the football. Um, we developed uh, with big game, Chris Calandro and those guys, they make the Nike football. So what fans may not know is if you watch college football, when Ohio state plays Oklahoma, they have two different brands of footballs and they're likely different sizes um, because the Nike football is made by big game and Chris Calandro. And then Wilson makes the Ohio state football. So it's just how, how it works there. They, every football in the NFL is made by Wilson. So they're all the same, but how you prep that football is different. And we want to make sure that our football fit both the prep, the different prep styles, as well as the different um, just the way the quarterbacks wanted to feel and make sure it flew well, but also looked cool. Let's uh let's talk about let's bring up an old controversy not not one involving us but uh Deflate Gate right where they talked about you know hey Brady's doctoring his balls I mean you're you're a center you have to handle the ball every single play it did not seem that big of a deal to me at all um quarterbacks manipulate the ball and it's not even like a it's not like putting pine tar on the damn thing and and throwing it like like pitchers do I mean it's just yeah, they like their balls inflated to a certain extent, and it, it doesn't really impact, I don't think, how you would play it defensively. So what happens with the NFL is they have a few different things that kind of inhibit them from trying to create a process. Remember, I had one owner, Vince McMahon, and all I had to do was make sure that he had the best possible game that he could have. And so that was my focus versus they have different things on like this owner wants certain things, this owner wants certain things and they have fighting between they just, they're all different clubs and businesses that join together. So uh, they have rules in place where you can't doctor the balls to a certain thing. We didn't have PSI rules. I told the kickers, it's good for me. If you kick a 65 yard field goal, it's good for you. Just don't have the thing pop on national television. There's no, we have K balls, but they didn't um, have to be get there an hour and a half before the game, then doctored up. I said, Nick Novak, you, uh, you kick whatever the hell you want. I just need this thing to go through the uprights, right? And that's where we have a 58-yard field goal. Taylor Russolino played for the Broncos last year because they got to kick whatever ball. They argued that my ball wasn't as kicker-friendly, but they got to make it however they wanted. The NFL has these PSI rules because it used to be that one team brought the balls to every game. Bobby Monaco, who was my equipment manager, was equipment manager for uh, the Dolphins at the time, and they had to make sure they brought the same balls and make it so equitable for the other team. We just haven't adapted, so now each team has their own footballs, right? If you looked at uh, New York's ball, they used black shoe polish for their for theirs. Maybe that was because they had black uniforms, but they made it. They made it. That's how their quarterback liked it. Versus uh, Josh Johnson wants to straight out of the box, right? We cared only about having the best possible gameplay for fans, but the NFL has some old archaic rules where they have to adjust and go over time because something that was in place. 25 years ago doesn't apply today right and we we really did put on a great on-field product I thought um I know I know some of the special team rules especially you know kickoff and punt took some time to adjust to um 
not only for fans watching, but I think like teams playing, like I think the further we got into the, into the season, especially on kickoff, um, you really started seeing teams get creative with it and like understand like, Oh, okay. This, this is how we attack it. This is just, this is just run blocking in in the offensive game, basically. Um, But I was really proud about, you know, what we did. And, you know, before we preview the Steelers last thing is I get this question a lot because I say, you know, I'm, you know, I used to work with the XFL, right. On all all these uh, resumes that I, that I sent out before I landed with Acme Packing Company. Um, One of the biggest questions I get over and over is, do you think spring football can work? And I was like, Man, did you guys see the product that we put on? Because I, I think we were, dude, we were there. I, the pandemic certainly changed a lot of things in a lot of ways uh, in the world. The XFL is a very small part of that, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But I think, you know, without the pandemic, I mean, we are rolling. The, the only thing that I think there was any sort of nervous about in terms of long-term build was like uh, spring football when uh march madness is on what happens to the ratings other than that every other question that we had ended up getting answered and we checked that box and it was like full steam ahead yeah you know i i completely agree for us um it depends on how you define work right like your team had different kpis than what my rules team had right so for eric i was folk you know you guys look at how many guys that we send back to the nfl Right. That for me doesn't matter for work. What matters for work is I believe we created a TV product. I was actually less concerned about um, ticket sales because you don't know what you're going to get with ticket sales. Um, uh, I think marketing people on teams are going to get mad at me for saying this, but uh, we had a marketing consultant come in and tell us, how do you sell tickets for games, trying to teach us different ways. And then they had 11 or 10 things, nine of which were really small on the bar chart. And then one thing that was like five times large and everyone to increase um, people come to the games. And uh, I, I asked, wait, you went over the first nine, but the big one, why, how come you didn't go over that? And he says, what is that? What's production mean? He goes, production, that means if your team's winning, then people will show up. And I go, oh, I make the rules. I could have made it so that every team won, right? Like ticket sales are hard. Winning teams sell seats, right? That, that's just how it works. So TV products. So for us, you know, March Madness is going to be a big deal. How do you compete with that? Well, we beat the remake game of the Clippers versus the Lakers. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, our FS1 game beat that game on ESPN. So FS1 is naturally rated worse than ESPN. That's a big deal for us, right? That means football matters. Football can handle basketball. I don't know how we would have done um, there, but we were close. I think work for me is, is it a standalone league that doesn't have to focus on having a supplement outside of other people, whether it's a billionaire or a league. I don't know. I think that if you work really hard and put like a process in place and know what a a win is and know that you're going to be that kind of off-brand football that still plays real football, that's not arena, but still has things, it it can work, right? You just have to be able to be willing to invest a billion dollars. Yeah, that was was the big thing. No, no, uh, no shade to the people working with the AAF and stuff. Um, One of my best buddies, Nate Tice uh, was working in Atlanta um, for the AAF program, but it did seem like the biggest difference between those two spring leagues, you know, one, the runway, right? We got two years, they got one year, and we got to see what they were doing. We got to use the film that they put together um, to evaluate players, at least at least on my end. That's um, kind of I see it since I was working in personnel. The fact that we got film on those guys, a lot of those AAF players who were solid ended up in the XFL. 
Um, and then two, just the money. I mean, you hear the differences between uh, the AAS stuff where, you know, Nate tells me like week one, they were getting uh, hoodies and like team gear for the sideline and it was still warm from coming off the presses. Right. E- everything was like day of day of figure it out um, compared to, you know, XFL where, yeah, Vince, Vince was willing to put his money on it. And he, he did. And you can't take that away from him. Yeah, he, he put $200 million. That's that's record, right? Like, um, uh, that's that's him believing in it. And, um, you know, I, 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 you know, I was let go by Vince, so there's a little bit there. But the, the guy really treated it um, in a smart way. It wasn't – he. he in one of his first meetings with me, he said, Sam, it's not your league, Oliver. It's, it's not Oliver's league. It's not my league. It's the fans' league. And I really think we put something together for that, you know, dealing with coaches and having them get over the new rules. Like, it was hard, but – kind of having that Silicon Valley type approach where you're focused on the fan and focused on the customer first. That's how we, that's how we approached everything. Right. So um, I think we did a great job. I think the AAF didn't really know what they were. They wanted to be a tech company um, on the uh, side of it. And they wanted to masquerade as a football company, which a lot of team, a lot of companies do that. Um, I've seen that be successful, but football is like the most expensive thing outside of a car company that you can make, (laughs) you know, like uh, Tesla, is like a really big thing because car companies are like the most capital intensive business and but football is super capital intensive but you can't masquerade as a tech company and think that you're going to trade at that high multiple um you got to be a football league first and that's what we did yeah all right um after the break we are going to break down the uh pittsburgh steelers because the packers have a football game this weekend we're back with sam schwartzstein uh sam the reason the reason you came to mind for the steelers podcast not only uh, did you come up on the Wednesday show about the chip and the ball? But good buddies with David DeCastro. Give us the uh, big, the, give us your best uh, David DeCastro story that can be on air. I realize he's not a Steeler anymore, but I feel like we just associate him with like Steeler football at this point. He's pure grit, um, so he'll he'll be okay with this story. So we were college roommates, um, did pretty much everything together, uh, but I was kind of the the runt of the group. So I think we had seventeen guys come in with us. I think. 14 of them played pro. I was the only starter, the consistent starter that didn't go to the NFL. Um, so I was kind of the run to the group, you know, shorter. I'm like 6'3", and I was probably 275 for the most of my time there. And, you know, he would just get after me about the food I would eat, get after me. So one day, um, I go to, we go to Chipotle like every day, and I get um, uh, pinto beans. And he goes, pinto beans, Sam? Look how fat you are. You're getting pinto beans? You got to focus on these things about the type of food you eat and put in your body. I can't believe you do this. We go back to probably two days later and uh, I get black beans and he orders pinto beans. I go, pinto beans, Dave, you're going to focus on, you're going to get like to kind of throw it back at him. And he goes, Sam, you're worried about beans. Beans are beans. Why would you care? You, you got bigger fish to fry than beans. You got to, and so, you know, beans are beans is kind of the big comment we always uh, throw around at Dave because it's like, can't win with him. I mean, he was pretty much a perfect football player. I say this. I play with a lot of great guys. David Cash was probably the most impressive college football player I ever played with. Um, and then watching him in the pros kind of doing the same thing um, was unreal to see him do that. So I've seen a lot of Steelers games. Um, a lot of them frustrating. Probably not as frustrating as last week's game, but I, I know a little bit about the Steelers offense and what they try to do. Right. So you, you've seen a lot of Steelers games. You could tell the difference between – you know, who Ben was in the past and who he is now. Um, when you watch, because I told you, if you're going to be on the damn pod, I, I need you to watch the Steelers. So 
you watch them. What do you think as a trained eye? You know, you play D1 football, FBS level, West Coast, all that. Ran a football league. This guy knows a little bit ball. What do you think of the Steelers team? Um, they're a really good high school football team and how they operate right now. Um, no disrespect, but they're, they, they, they were behind the sticks on every uh, second down or first down because they got a penalty almost every time in the first half. Um, they still have studs in certain spots. Um, just that their studs aren't uh, on offense aren't Antonio Brown, right? That was, that's kind of, that was kind of their feel safe for their best years when they were probably the most talented offense in the NFL. Uh, they could have, you know, they, you'd watch them. And when Ben's doing his thing, so Matt Canada gets like the first eight plays and then it goes over to the Ben Roethlisberger offense. And um, Ben would see us would have a screen called and then he would still throw it up to AB dudes seven yards downfield on offensive line, but AB was open. we got one-on-one. So we're going to do something special. You see that same thing happen, but it's James Washington out there. Right. And you'd think they do it with Claypool, but I don't think they found the a true number one with their guys. Um, they're getting penalized so much. And I was trying to look, I was talking to you about the data, trying to get the referee data because um, if you, you really want Cleet Blakeman to be the court, uh, the guy against uh, the Steelers, because he was calling everything. So you and I have discussed how disorganized um, the, uh, the, you know, and how bad formations look in the NFL, right? I'm one who complains about it the most. You never see guys on the line correctly, but they were calling illegal formation against the Steelers. And when it was because the tackle was two yards in the backfield on passing down. So the tight end lines up on top of him. Right. And so they say no one's on the line of scrimmage. Right. right. And the, they and say the, the tight ends of the backfield. And so it looks, it looks bad and that's how they operate. Um, I think that they still have studs on defense, but if Cam's not making the play or uh, TJ's not making them play, then they're, they're going to have a tough time making a play. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the big things that I noticed was, you know, TJ out last week with a groin injury and then Highsmith was also out. Um, they're down two pass rushers. And, you know, I talked about it, I think a couple times on the feed already. Um, that you know they're they're Blitzberg. They embrace it. They wear the shirts. All that like it's full blown buy in. And with those two pass rushers out, I mean they just kind of sat back and and let Joe Burrow kind of pick them apart a little bit. And Joe Burrow didn't even have to pass at an incredible volume, you know, in this game, which he's usually having to do because he's playing from behind. You know, they get behind and they just say, okay, we're an empty gun team now. And Joe Burrow throw five yard pass passing plays until we can make it down to the red zone. So that's a big deal, I would think. I know both were limited participants in practice this week. By the time this pod comes out, maybe the, the news, news uh, changes a little bit. But that defense, if it's not going to be aggressive, um, definitely worries me because that defense is built to be aggressive outside of the defensive line. You know, the, that defensive line can pretty much do anything. I mean, Cam Hayward, all those guys to it. Um, but offensively, you said, you know, it's kind of Matt Canada's offense the first couple plays, and then it turns into the Ben Roethlisberger offense. So getting into Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator for uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you're on a, if you aren't a big uh, college football fan, and you know we're talking about the Packers, so some people might have seen him at Wisconsin, right? If you're not a big college football fan and you're unaware of who Matt Canada is, there's going to be a lot of shifts. There's going to be a lot of resets. Um, you'll see double shifts and then a jet sweep. It's a very complicated offense pre-snap. Post-snap, it's fairly simple. Um, but pre-snap, there's a lot of motion that can cause a lot of stress. I think it'll cause a lot of stress, you know, to the Packers' uh, base 
um, just because they, they expand to everything, right? Um, they're, they're a true three, four team when they're in base, they expand to everything. There's plays against San Francisco last week. You could see Rashawn Gary lining up outside of the X wide receiver um, just because he has a minus split and they're not going to give him the short edge. So how, how do you, how do you keep control of those edges when not only one tight end is moving, but both tight ends are moving, you know, pre-snap on the same play. And then there's a jet motion that stuff could cause some problems, but he seems to be a difficult guy uh, to work for and work with seems to be the consensus. Um, it's real fun football to watch, but for whatever reason, he just ends up bouncing around every couple of years. And it seems like a uh, Pittsburgh media is in a full blown, like onslaught of him right now. Cause if Ben doesn't look good, Oh, it can't be Ben's fault. So it's gotta be back Canada's fault. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, like Ben's not the only guy who does this right. Where, uh, the given being coordinator agnostic the first guy I remember with is Peyton Manning he kind of just he because he took the reins right and just said I'm going to run this offense we're going to run this zone and I'm going to make a pre-snap read on whether it's going to be a pass or a run and the O-line just going to stay kind of solid on they're not going to really know if it's a run or a pass um, I'm you know watching Matt Canada I played against him in college I was a big fan of that Wisconsin Wisconsin offense um, I played him in the in the uh, Rose Bowl and you know, it's, it's a lot of window dressing, right? Like you said, uh, but that's just not how Ben works. Ben's going to want to be in a six-man protection with the running back to leak out, and he's going to run two-minute offense the entire time. That was, you know, uh, the one of the big discussions about what, what goes on is, can you really PFF grade the Steelers' offensive lineman when they're running a, a predictable drop back three quarter, 55 times a game, right? How are you supposed to give – David DeCastro, a, a quality PFF grade when Fletcher Cox knows the play, knows the count, <laughs> knows everything. It's, it's really O-line, D-line, one-on-one drill for those guys. And you see how different it is when they have studs like the like Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro, um, Ramon Foster in there, and now how different it is, right, with those other guys. And not, no disrespect to Dotson, you know, with him, with his wave enforcer on during the game, that's a, another high school call out. Um, one of the most wild things I can't let I can't believe that's not a uniform violation. I think it was in our rule, rule book. You couldn't wear a, a wave enforcer in the middle of a game. Um, but it's it's interesting to see Matt Canada. You know, I, I don't know if he rubs people the wrong way or if he just jumps around a lot. Um, I think they like he was at Pitt, I believe, I think before this. And I think they yeah, like that. He had Peterman. That was the big uh, shovel option stuff, all that shovel option stuff that you see now. You know, he didn't invent it, but he definitely was the first guy to lean into it in like the gun structure and use it as like an option play. If you ever see, you know, Patrick Mahomes rolling out at the goal line and then shoveling it inside to, to Travis Kelsey on, on power, he was doing that with Nathan Peterman and he beat Deshaun Watson in like a number two ranked Clemson doing it. Yeah. We stole that from uh, Florida at Stanford. So Mm -hmm. we put that in, that was like, um, if you watch any, any Harbaugh disciple play or play caller, Pep Hamilton, um, to Vita Pritchard, you, you're, you're going to see at the six yard line, if it's like first and goal from the six or second and goal from the six, a, a shovel pass is coming. Um, uh, they, they did it where they actually had a true option off of it. And then we just said, okay, we're going to, we taught power up front or single back power, which we called punch. And then just have the, the running back uh, kind of take it from there. But it's great seeing all these tight ends, people doing it. I think one of the best guys doing it is Andy Reed with uh, Travis Kelsey, because they have the guys to do it. Right. You can't just ask um, some people to do it. Eric Ebron, you know, I watched him a bit when he was in Indianapolis. Um, I, th- I don't think that's his game right now. Um, and I so I think they're trying to figure out with Firemuth what, what, how to be able to leverage that a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, so in general, this game, how, how do you think it matches up? Because I, I agree with you on Ben. I mean, we're, we're two years into this with Ben, you know? Um, this is who he was last year. Like you said, he just wants to run two-minute offense, but he's not necessarily taking those shot plays um, consistently. And, you know, if you're not taking those shot plays, it ends up looking like a ton of checkdowns um, from, like, a spread structure, you know? And it seems like that's who he wants to be, and it's tough when – you know, Matt Canada wants to run that offense so, so heavy, right? You can't, you can't trade your tight end, which is just like, you know, shifting them across the formation. You can't trade your tight end if your tight end isn't lined up, you know, in the formation. So, and you can't double shift them unless there's two tight ends in the formation. So it's like this weird disconnect of like, Matt Canada wants this to be like a 12 personnel team, right? With two tight ends. And then Ben, especially at this point in his career, seems like he should just be playing in the gun and they should be like borderline like 10 personnel. So it's like a very wide disconnect between like what they want to do structurally and what their quarterback can actually do. Cause I think ideally the way you want to do it is all the trade stuff, right. It ends up looking a lot like, I guess, kind of like that Boise style offense, right. It ends up looking a lot like what the Dallas Cowboys look like right now, where you can move those guys around stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you can also boot out of it from under center. You can play in the gun, but you can boot out of it from under center. Ben right now, he's not a guy that you want on the move. So all that under center stuff, it's really hard to have a passing constraint from under center, unless you're willing to, unless you're willing to boot. And right now his athleticism just isn't there. Like, I think it could look a lot like what Dallas does, maybe even a little bit like what you know, the Rams are doing now, now that they have Stafford and they're in the gun a little bit more. Um, but just the physical limitations of Ben right now, I think that's keeping the offense in like this weird spot where they're basically running two different schemes, right? Like you talked about, they're running the Canada stuff early on and then it turns into the Ben offense. And it just seems like there's a disconnect there. And there has been really for, for the last, you know, two years, I think. Yeah, I think if they clean up the penalties though, they still have dudes, right? Mm-hmm. That's to me where they were. They, they were so off schedule being in first and 15 so often, or when they'd get a big game, there was a holding call, right? Um, that to me is if I'm a Packers fan, if, if, if they're not getting called on that and it's let the boys play day, they still have Ben Roethlisberger. And, you know, if they treat Claypool like they can with Antonio Brown, which I would do over James Washington or Juju mm-hmm. um, if I were them, right? Put him on the solo side. And play that take away do half the field offense really because they they treat Najee Harris as if he's Le'Veon Bell right he looks like him he doesn't do the, the walk up to the line of scrimmage with if you're no lineman you're not a huge fan of that uh, you have the sustained strain that might take some years off the career just kind of get through the hole please um, but I think you know if 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 they can um, stay on schedule they're still athletic and like they still have dudes that's kind of the, that's kind of their game right um, I I still think it it's just to me would they used to have the fail safe of, okay, let's just, let's see what Le'Veon can do behind this old line and let's see what AB can do. Cause you know, they didn't, and you heard Travis Kelsey talk about this on the, on the Monday night game. AB didn't have to do anything in the playbook, right? AB didn't play in the slot because he didn't have to, right? Hey, we're going to just go solo side with you. And if you see something, give me the look and we'll go do it. Right. Yeah. No one else on the team knew. And they're playing backyard football. That just doesn't work when you don't have the best wide receiver in football. Yeah, and that that X receiver stuff is really important. I mean, Travis Kelsey splits out at X more than any tight end, and it's not even close. I mean, it's almost 
it's almost incorrect to classify Travis Kelsey as a tight end at this point, you know, with the way that he's split out in that way. And I think Green Bay sees it a little bit too. I mean, Devontae is doing a bunch of that stuff. And it it very much is like, you know, if you have chemistry with a wide receiver and we only need two guys to be on the same page, that guy's playing next then, you know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. As far it, as it, predictions go, going into this game, how, how are you feeling? Packers or Steelers? Green Bay. I, so here's anyone who bets on football on this uh, for your listeners. Um, I go with what those guys typically say. And uh, when I was talking with all the sports books, you know, the ones that are based overseas, they have all this data involved in their decision-making process. So they were worried about our game having new rules. When I go talk to some of the big sports books in Vegas, they didn't care any about our data. They didn't care about our rule books. They said, just give me the two quarterbacks. Our touchdowns worth six. Okay. Give me the quarterbacks. So I always go with the quarterback. I'm not telling you who's going to cover, but Aaron Rodgers, the way he's been playing, you know, after week one, I think he's kind of got it figured out. Um, he got the he got the salt water out of his ears. I think he's ready to play. Um, I think he's. I think they take it big. Awesome. I, I I think the same thing. I think Green Bay is about to go through a little bit of an easy stretch after uh, some confusion early on. If they can do that to San Francisco, I think you know Steelers, Bengals, etc. I, I think the Packers are about to put up a couple wins here. Um, just in general, a couple things to keep an eye on going into this game. Again, uh, limited participation for both uh, Steelers pass rushers. That's something to keep an eye on. We'll have updates for, you know, the inactives and stuff on Acme Packing Company as it comes out. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, at this point, Kevin King is still under concussion protocol. The cornerback, Eric Stokes, replaced him. He did a pretty solid job. So we'll see where we're at that way. Inside linebacker, Chris Barnes. Seems like he's going to be returning to practice very soon. Um, not a full participant yet, but it seems like he's advancing faster than uh, Kevin King is. And then um, obviously, you know, the ankle injury to Elton Jenkins at left tackle was a huge one. I mean, I don't know if you got to see the Packers game, Sam, but Nyman, he was a guy that we were keeping an eye on. I could tell you that for, for personnel wise for the XFL. Um, he didn't end up making it. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't end up getting cut in a way that he would be accessible to us for the XFL talent pool. Um, but he was an interesting guy. I mean, he's really athletic. Um, he's a little light, so you can, like, power through him a little. But, I mean, he's, like, six seven. He's a dancing bear. And he started his first NFL game, and it was, like, baptism by fire going against uh, a Bosa brother. So he held up pretty well. Hopefully he'll be able to do the same against the Steelers. Hopefully he won't have to see T.J. Watt head-to-head um, -to -head too often. But – if Elton Jenkins is out with that ankle injury that he sustained and played through in week two, then that that's what's on the slate. Yeah. I played Stefan to it when he was 19 years old and he was the best football player I'd ever played against. So uh, he's still, he's still good. And they moved Cam Hayward around too, right? Mm -hmm. Cam Hayward, normally he played kind of stationary um, from the few years I watched, but he found a way on the edge too. And he's not going to beat you with speed, but you know, his dad being Ironhead and he's got a gigantic head, it's going to be coming. They could find a weakness. So much of the NFL is finding out who's injured and taking advantage of that, of the replacement coming in. Sometimes you have a guy that can step up, but if you're susceptible to something, if you show one thing on film that this could be it, then that's what I'd be looking for. If I'm, if I see a guy who's a little bit lighter, a little bit more of the athletic wants to play with the guys on the outside, screw it. Just put Cam Hayward out there and put a head into him. That, that could be an opportunity. Yeah, if you could keep that away from Tomlin this week, that'd be great. Uh, Sam, tell, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, I'm uh, on Twitter at Schwartzstein S. Um, uh, it's just two names put together with an S. 
Um, you can find me on Twitter there. Um, that's pretty much all I do right now is Twitter. I do some consulting with uh, different leagues, whether it's esports, um, whether it's collegiate or NFL. I do a little bit of uh, consulting on the side there. Awesome. All right. Stay tuned into Acme Packing Company. Um, keep an eye up for, you know, the inactives on the website game day. Um, keep it tuned into the podcast network, like subscribe review. I'm told it helps with the algorithm. Sam could probably tell me a lot more about that than me, but I've, I've been told by all the higher ups uh, that it's a good thing for us. So if you guys could keep those going, that'd be great. Um, thanks for the time again, Sam. Comment what rule you would change in the NFL. Let's get comments equal velocity. That's what we want. Comment what rule you would change in the NFL. There we go. There we go. See you guys.